Good morning, church. If you're visiting with us this morning, we are, uh, we are especially glad that you are here. Very thankful for the fact that you have decided to come and, and uh, worship and celebrate with us uh, this, uh, this beautiful Lord's Day. Today is a special day because it is our benevolence uh, focus. Uh, today is the one day of the year in which we have a special contribution, a special focus on the benevolence ministry. And, uh, and so I hope you have a chance to, uh, to enjoy seeing and hearing some of the different stories and some of the different things that go on in regard to this particular ministry at Greenville Oaks. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Matthew 28, it is commonly referred to as the what? Let's read our Bibles, church. The Great Commission, yes, the Great Commission. If you've been raised in a church or you have grown up in a faith of of any kind, you have probably heard that phrase from the time that you were in kindergarten. A beautiful phrase, a powerful phrase, an unbelievable challenge that our Savior Jesus Christ left for us to be proactive in doing and acting, responding with the spreading and the sharing of the good news. But I wonder if sometimes we hear the commission, the great commission, we see it, and we become convinced that that's really all that we're supposed to be about. Make no mistake about it, it is a very important and extremely significant part to the puzzle. But I'm not so sure it's the entire puzzle. Because I also believe in something called... The great, and I mean great, the absolute 100% great expectation. Now, how many of you have heard of the great, great expectation? Of course not. I just made it up. The great expectation also comes from Jesus Christ. And yet I'm not so sure that it's something that we take to heart the same way we take the great, great commission of Jesus Christ. If you've got your Bibles, open up to the book of Matthew, chapter 25. Matthew, chapter 25. I want to take just a few minutes this morning and I want to share with you this idea I have of the great expectation that I believe our Savior Jesus Christ has for us. Because see, here's the thing, the great expectation, it's, it's not a religious thing, it's not a racial issue, it's not a social problem or an economic thing or a, a political idea. The great expectation is purely and simply a people thing. It's not about race, it's not about religion, it's not about politics, it's simply about people. There's a great responsibility and opportunity that goes along with being a person. There's an even greater responsibility and opportunity that goes along with being a follower, a believer of Jesus Christ. But let me level set here real quickly. I want to help help set the stage for the idea of commission and the idea of expectation, okay? By definition, commission is this. It is a job or a task given to a person or a group. 
Commission is something we are asked to do. Okay? Expectation is a standard of conduct or performance expected by or of somebody, a confident belief that a particular event will happen. Expectation is something that we are expected to do, whether asked or not. Great commission, the great expectation. I believe both come from Jesus Christ. You see, the reality is this. Poverty sees no color. Homelessness does not search out one particular race. Joblessness does not search out a particular city. And brokenness does not try to find one particular gender over the other. There is no discrimination when it comes to those that are in need. In fact, when it comes to brokenness, when it comes to those in need, the only discrimination that occurs is from those who are trying to decide who should respond to those that are broken and those that are in need. We talk about connecting Scripture to life. It's something we do here at Greenville Oaks. We talk about the importance of this book and the words of this book being relevant to my life. But the reality is this, we're quite scared of that. Because when we let these words begin to be a part of our life, we are challenged by the commission and the expectation that our Savior has for us. So what are we supposed to do? What if we actually took the words? What if we actually took the great expectation of Jesus Christ And we actually sought to live it out every day of our life. Not just in thought, not just in idea, not a perception, but actually physically, tangibly, realistically lived it out in our life. Matthew chapter 25, verse 34. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father. Take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. The righteous will answer him, but Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you? When did we see you thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you as a stranger and invite you in or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go and visit you? Verse 40, the king will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you do for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. Then he will say to those on his left, depart from me, you who are cursed into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty, you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger and you did not invite me in. I needed clothes and you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison and you did not come and look after me. You see, when I read that, there's no please from Jesus. I don't hear a, I sure hope we can do this. There is not a sense of, well, let's give this our best shot, church. 
I don't hear a single bit of hesitation, a single bit of reservation or uncertainty. I hear a very firm, this is what you do. Because if you don't do it for them, then you're also not doing it for me. I think it's an expectation. And so with that expectation laid before us, the question is simply this. What does that mean to me? What does that mean to me today as I sit here in the Greenville Oaks Church of Christ building, November the 10th, 2013 in Allen, Texas? What do those words mean to me? I've got a video I want you to watch about where we live today. Watch this video. Collin County, among the wealthiest counties in Texas, boasts more than 20 golf courses, a mecca of luxury cars, corporate headquarters, tons of shopping, and high-end homes. But now, homelessness is a growing part of the landscape. According to the county's homeless coalition, the population grew a stunning 44% over last year. It's exploded. The numbers have absolutely exploded. We can serve 160 people. We're full every single day of the year, and we're turning away about 50 people a week. I think it's uh, long-term unemployment. That's the primary reason people show up at our doors. Deani Tavy is one of the casualties. A Californian, he heard Texas was the land of job opportunity. So he hopped on a bus last March and headed east with $55 in his pocket and a dream to build a new life. At first, he landed a couple of jobs, but it's since dried up. I just I can't win. He spent a couple of nights sleeping in the streets before coming to the Samaritan Inn, Collin County's only shelter. His wife was scared. It's hard. It's uh, stressful. It, it really is. You try not to like, you know, let it get to you, but it does. Because it, it is stressful. Like most suddenly homeless, Diani has a family, and it doesn't discriminate. There are people at the inn with and without college degrees. Collin County is considered one of the wealthiest counties in Texas, and so people assume there is no homeless problem, and I am here to tell you that is not the truth. Six thousand one hundred and fifty-nine best guesstimate persons who are homeless were turned away this past year in Collin County because there was no place for them. Fifty-seven percent of the homeless in Collin County are employed. They have jobs. They work just like you and I. 36% of the homeless in Collin County are children under the age of 18. There are nearly 2,000 children that are homeless and attend Collin County schools every single day. 58% of the homeless in Collin County have some type of college education, and 20% of them actually have full college degrees. If you were to go to the Allen High School today or tomorrow, there's around 30 students who walk in that building every day that school's in session, go to school, and when they leave in the afternoon, they don't have a place to go home to. 
They're homeless. It's called hidden homelessness. They don't have hidden homelessness in downtown Dallas or in inner city Chicago or in New York City or in downtown Los Angeles. You see, it's not hidden. It's very apparent. It's very obvious. It's on every street corner, in front of every shopping mall, and on every busy intersection. But here in Collin County, where we live, it's hidden. And don't get caught up on the word homelessness. That's simply the presenting issue. Underneath the homelessness is broken families and divorce and hunger and job loss and child neglect and abuse and loneliness and suicide and anxiety and fear. Those are all the broken things of people's lives that are floating around underneath the word homelessness in Collin County. Texas, where we live. So I want to pose the question to you again I did earlier. So what does this mean to me? What are we supposed to do about this? You see, just because it's not obvious does not mean that it does not, in fact, exist, because it does. Where we live, there are broken, hurting, needy people The same people that Jesus said were hungry and naked and homeless and alone. And what did we do? You see, one of the things that made Jesus so amazing was his eyes and his ears and his heart. Because, see, he saw brokenness in people when nobody else did. And he responded to people when nobody else would. That's what separated Jesus, I think, as much as anything else. His eyes to see, his ears to hear, and his heart to love. Can we have that? I love how the message translation writes one of these verses. In Matthew 25, verse 44, it says this. Listen to how it's phrased. Then they will say, Master... What are you talking about? When did we ever see you hungry or thirsty or homeless or shivering or sick or in prison and didn't help you? And then Jesus simply said, I'm telling you the solemn truth. Whenever you failed to do one of these things to someone who was being overlooked or ignored, that was me. You failed to do it to me. So here's the deal. You're sitting there saying, I know, Matt. I know I need to help people. I should. I'm going to put some money in the plate. I'll go do one of those love where you live things that you talk about all the time. I'll even get some group of people together, some friends, and we'll go and and serve. and, And that's wonderful, and God bless you, and please keep doing that. But church, what if there's more? What if there is so much more than just putting money in a plate And just going out and painting a building. Because what I think Jesus is talking about is a life. It's an expectation of followership. What he's saying is, if you're going to follow me, you have to do this. There's no choice. I expect it of you. And if you don't, then you're falling away. Because I think he makes it very clear that this is a spiritual issue. Our eternal life is dependent upon how we live this out in Matthew 25. He separated very clearly and plainly the goats and the sheep those that responded to him when he was hungry, and those that did not. 
I hope that we'll walk away this morning with an understanding of the serious nature of what we're talking about here. Responding to the need of those around us. I love a quote by Richard Bronstein. It says this, It is possible to give without loving, but it is impossible to love without giving. That's Matthew 25. In just a few minutes, we are going to take up a, an offering, and, uh, and it's different. It's the only time we do this once a year. You put money into a plate, but, but I want you to understand that the money that you put into the plate during the benevolence offering and during the time in which you give back is not money that just goes into a bank account. It's food that's put on a table. It's electricity for someone to stay warm in the winter. It's a roof over someone's head who doesn't have one. It's a coat for a child who doesn't have one. It is Matthew 25 being lived out in the real world. Those statistics that I told you about earlier, those statistics have names. They have shoe sizes. They have stories. Like Ray... Raised a man with a family, made a commitment to go back to school to try to finish his education, to be able to provide better for his family, experienced some difficulties during some of his financing while he was in school, found himself broken and basically ready to drop out, to quit his dream of going back to college and getting an education because he couldn't do it. And you stepped in and you helped him and his family. Or Adriana and her husband trying to raise their family, both working hard, doing the very best that they can, making it week to week and month to month, and one of their kids got sick, spent a couple weeks in the hospital. When he came out, the medical bills were this high, and the job uh, wages were were far less because she spent so much time at the hospital. They were going to lose their house, and you helped save them. Or Charles, who was a single dad, his... uh, His wife had a drug problem and left, and his his kids were taken from him by CPS, and he was was desperately searching for a way to get his life back on track, and every single turn just was a dead end, and he had basically kind of given up on himself and his kids and his life, and at just the right time, you stepped in and provided him the love and support that he needed to get his life back moving in the right direction. or Michael, or Mika, or Carol, or Joanne, or John, or Robert. I could go on and on and on. The people that myself and the other Benevolence team members have met over the last year, the lives that you have changed, the amazing, miraculous things that God has done through you. I want you to know what we do makes a difference in the kingdom of God and the money that you give, but more importantly, the life that you live. Because at the end of this morning, if you walk away and you feel like what I've said was simply about filling a a plate with money, you're wrong. You don't have to put a red cent in that plate. I don't care. God will provide. I'm not the least bit worried about that. This is not a money thing. This is a Jesus Christ expectation thing for those who say they are followers of his. And so will you follow him? Will you search for the eyes of Jesus within yourself?
Will you work to develop the ears of Jesus within yourself? And will you find that heart of love of Jesus within yourself? Because the reality, church, is there is need. There is need all around us. And I am so grateful for the generosity of this church. Over a quarter of a million dollars has been given by this church the last few years to go to help hundreds and hundreds of families here in Greenville Oaks as well as around Collin County. On behalf of those families, I tell you, thank you. But there is great need around us here in one of the wealthiest counties in Texas and one of the wealthiest in America. There is need. Have eyes to see, ears to hear, and a heart that's willing to love. As Matthew 25 tells us, Jesus expects us to. May God bless us as we care for those in need and we share what we have with those who have nothing.